This is Strategy Taken, a podcast about hard decisions and how strategic leaders in financial services make them, with your host, Luis Sorzella. Hi. Today we're talking with my friend Eric Montero. Eric is currently the head of group retirement services with Sun Life. For those who don't know, Sun Life is the leading life insurance company here in Canada. Before that, we used to work together with McKinsey and Company as consultants. He was a partner here in the Toronto office. He left McKinsey to join AMIA, uh, the company that manages the Aeroplan Frequent Flyer program. Uh, there he was responsible for their strategy. And when he left AMIA to join Sun Life, and in Sun Life, he is responsible today, among other things, for their digital platform, uh, their customer experience, and he was responsible for that at a time that all these things are changing and are being challenged by the global pandemic to deal with. So, uh, hi, Eric. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you, Luis. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, happy to join. So, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, who are you? Who is Eric Montero? Sure. Yeah, happy to. Um, I lead our group retirement services business, as you said. So we provide savings plans, the, uh, defined contribution plans, and defined benefits, uh, pension de-risking solutions for companies. Uh, I've been with Sunlight for about almost five years now. I've had uh, three roles in five years, so I've certainly not been bored. And as you said before this, I was with AMIA and before with McKinsey & Company. Did most of my work actually in banking, a lot of it digital data and analytics, but in banking. So insurance has been a big learning curve for me, although the retirement part of the business is actually more like banking than it is like insurance. Right. So I understand that you have a very interesting story to tell us today, right? Um, again, this podcast is about hard strategic decisions. We all know that figuring out what needs to be done is just half of the battle. Uh, the hard part actually is afterwards when you need to deal with all the uncertainties and with the different stakeholders with people with different appetites for risk and different points of view on how the world is evolving and where we are strategically. Uh, I understand that you're going to talk about today your experience with Sun Life Go, uh, which is Sun Life's digital platform, right? Yeah, so this is when I was leading what we call the client experience office, which includes all our digital channels. And we had the decision of whether or not to invest and relaunch our digital insurance product and experience on a modern, modern platform. To your point, it's called Sun Life Go. Um, to give you a bit of the context of the history behind this product, we had offered a digital product for a few years, actually over a decade now. At first, it was frankly a pretty bad solution. It was called Fiddle, which the name itself is terrible. And the solution wasn't very good. It didn't really sell at all. And the experience was, was really bad. Um, you know, that, then in about... 2015, we decided to relaunch that with a better product and a better experience. That's when we rebranded it to Sun Life Go. And it was much better than the first iteration. First of all, the product itself was more compelling. The experience was more modern, although not as modern as we wanted it to be. And it actually sold. It sold pretty well. It didn't really take off, but it did okay. And when I say the experience is okay, is because it was a website that looked a little bit like you know mid-2000s, early-2000s. Uh, web form experience. So it was okay, but really hard to, to change and very inflexible. And, and we also marketed mostly through our traditional channels. In fact, we didn't market much of it at all. And so it, again, sales kind of grown slowly, but not really, never really filled the potential we thought 
it, it could, and they were kind of plateauing actually. So we weren't even sure, you know, does this market have a future or not? And so that was the decision. Do we, do we try to double down on it and make this work, you know, re-platform, change the product, reinvest on the marketing, or just, you know, let it die out or just, just keep it going as it is basically. That's very interesting. And I want to go over what happened and how the decision was made. But before we go there, could you tell us a little bit of what was at stake and why that decision needed to be made at that point in time? I mean, it's interesting because this was sort of this perennially dissatisfying part of the business, right? You had camps in the company that thought this is the future. People are buying everything online. They're going to buy insurance online as well, particularly term insurance and critical illness, which are relatively simpler products to explain that we all thought should, should actually happen online. But it never actually did take off. And actually, it didn't make much money either. And so we kind of wondered, you know, what do we want out of it? Now, it was supposed to be also a platform for building relationships with people earlier in their lives and their careers. Um, but it didn't actually do that either, right? Because the, the thesis behind it was, even if the product itself is not a big money maker, you, you know, you buy a product from us first when you're, say, in your late 20s or early 30s, and we start a relationship with. And at that point, when your finances become more complex and you actually need to talk to an advisor, you may want more complex products, you may have some wealth needs, then, you know, we're already a, a partner, we're part of your life, we have a relationship, and then you would sign up to us. But the reality is we weren't even doing that. And in fact, we weren't even set up to do that. We, had, we actually had not developed the capability to nurture those, those um, relationships, really. Well, so we, again, we were faced at that point with this sort of, um, I guess, you know, this, this crossroads of, you know, the, the, the options for us are pretty clear. We shut the product down and just call it quits and say, we're not going to try to sell digitally which didn't sound realistic we, because, you know, we, anyway, there's some option value, et cetera. The second option was, do we kind of leave it as it is, punt it a little bit, you know, for a few years until we find out what was going to happen. The problem with that option was that the platform itself was getting a bit untenable. There was many things that we hadn't done because it was very inflexible and it was getting both from a regulation point of view, it was some, some new regulations coming that we weren't quite ready to address. And also from a client experience point of view, and then of course, the last option was to really double down. And that for us meant we're going to re-platform you know, to a more modern digital experience, uh, relaunch the brand and you know, build the ability to nurture those relationships over time so that again, we can, we can start to deliver on the promise of this being the first introduction to the Sun Life experience. Okay. Um, but tell us a little bit about what was at stake at that point, why did that decision have to be made? Sure. Um, so I'll start with what was not at stake, which is a big PL impact or a big dollar impact. This this was not a money maker, but it was but it was actually borderline profitable, was break even. So it, we could have actually sat on this for a while without really worrying from a PL perspective. So that was really not the big issue. The two big issues we had: one is it was an absolute management time sink. It had lots of attention, you know, this promise of a digital platform all the way up to our CEO was very interesting. So we got questions all the time. And so we, we ended up spending a lot of time trying to figure out what to do with it. So really spending a lot of time from a management perspective. And the second thing is 
the future of our industry really is with the millennials and Gen Zs. You know, the reality is people today, they're not really a big part of the insurance market nor the wealth market for that matter. Um, mostly, you know, Gen Xs and boomers are. But the future, it clearly has got to be with millennials and Gen Zs. You know, 20, 30 years from now, they're going to be the ones buying these solutions. And so if we don't actually find a way to engage them uh, in, in, in the discussion around financial protection and insurance, we will miss that entire generation, which obviously is not, is not, is not good. It's, it's just unacceptable, right? So that's really for us what was at stake. It was that future view. Now, why now? Well, I touch on a couple of things. One is the, the current platform was going to require a steady stream of investments. Um, if, uh, if we wanted to, to, otherwise we'd have a few headaches with, again, being compliant with the latest and greatest in regulation, and also just having an experience that works. Plus, we were starting to have some stability issues with an old platform that wasn't sustainable anymore. Uh, secondly, we actually did start to see Gen Z and millennials start to actually show interest, and some of them actually entered the market uh, in bigger numbers. And in, again, even though this didn't drive a lot of sales or certainly not a lot of profit because these are small policies, et cetera, you know, we don't want to miss that wave. And then the last part is you always worry someone else out there is smarter than you. And, you know, many times that's the case. And there's lots of insure tech money and VC money going into insure techs trying to break this space. Uh, and so they were starting to make lots of waves. And that kind of has you wondering, well, you know, are we, are we playing the incumbent here and not realizing what the opportunity really is? That's really kind of, those are the three catalysts to really have that conversation now. Yeah, I mean, I'll start with um, the, why, why it's actually a pretty big decision, right? Um, you know, you had, we, had, we kind of had to make a decision on a premise or a promise, which is that the business is not here yet in either volume or profitability, but it will come. You know, if you build it, they will come kind of thing. And that's always hard. That, that, that's hard in large companies in particular because you're competing with other priorities that actually drive income and, and profitability kind of day one. And this one didn't really. And we actually, to be transparent, we're never sure it ever will be big. You know, it, these are mostly, as, as I mentioned, mostly simpler products, you know, term, term insurance, five years, 10 years, 20 years, and critical illness. And, you know, the reality is they, they, these are not very profitable products. Now, what, what the twist to this, as I mentioned, is we do believe, I certainly do, that these folks will have more complex financial needs in the future. And whoever starts to develop a relationship with them now, in the channel that they are used to using, which is digital, will actually be in a much better position to engage with Gen Zs and, Gen, and, and millennials uh, in the future. The other thing you had to believe, which is you know, in some ways even harder, is that there's latent demand out there. Um, if you look at the market for digital insurance, it's, it's about 3% of total sales, and that's actually true globally. Um, but you know, I've, I have this conviction, and it's actually kind of proven out through the pandemic a little bit, that there's a group out there of latent demand of folks who just aren't in the market because they're not thinking about it. And they, you know, they're not particularly Gen Zs and, and millennials aren't necessarily thinking of going to an advisor to have that conversation. Um, and then the, the last element that made this difficult is, you know, you got to believe that we are the best suited company to capture that opportunity. Because as I mentioned, a lot of a lot of insure techs that are VC funded were starting to get into this business. And 
they, the reality, the, the tough reality is they have more patient money than, than we do, right? They are comfortable putting money into a venture that has no profitability for five, eight, 10, 20 years. For us, you know, doing this in the context of a public company PL, now it's not big, so, so we, we were able to do it, but create some tension because you know, we actually have to show every quarter that we're driving the business. And you know, this may take five, 10, 20 years to really show up in any meaningful way in, in the PL. Yes, it's funny that you mentioned about this. I, I remember seeing that if you interview people, uh, if you survey people and ask them how many of them are actually buying online and you do the bottom up and then you compare with what the companies are saying that they're selling online, you see that the bottom up numbers are much inflated compared to the top down ones. Or there are more people saying that they're buying than what the companies are saying that they're selling. So the a lot of numbers that you see on reports out there are very inflated. Right. The, the truth is that yeah, exactly. the process is not there yet. It's uh, there is a lot of assisted buying and people who um, do a lot of consultation online, but then actually close the deal uh, on, through a traditional channel, and and they might think that they are buying uh, online, that they fall into the statistics of pure online, but they're actually not. So um, tell us about what, how was the decision and how it was decided? Yeah, so we uh, ended up deciding to double down on the investment and, and actually, you know, on all three fronts. So we replatformed, uh, it, we just launched it actually, I guess a couple months ago. And no, actually, sorry, more than that, a few months ago. And we also decided to relaunch the, the marketing campaign with very, a very different approach. And I can tell you more about that. And lastly, you know, we are we are doubling down on on the business itself and, and the platform. So so we decided to go ahead with it. That um, sounds like perfect timing to me, eh? Um, with COVID and lockdowns, etc. So uh, what was hard about that decision? And how the different parties within Sun Life and your external partners were looking at that decision at the time. Yeah, we were. It's interesting because we, yeah, we, and we made the decision pre-pandemic, right? So now we sound like the smartest people in the world um, because obviously we benefited from, this particular business benefited from the pandemic. A lot of people, and it's actually less about people moving channels because our advisor channels are actually digitally enabled. So the people that actually, have complex enough needs and need an advisor conversation, they're dealing with the advisors digitally. It's more that, you know, if you're 35 before the pandemic, you're basically invincible, right? And now with the way the psyche, I guess, would have been affected by a global pandemic is you start to question that. And you say, well, you know, maybe I should protect the family. Maybe, you know, uh, we should be taking more care of our future. And so we saw a lot of a huge spike actually in interest and frankly in, in demand and a, and a huge spike in sales as well. So tell me, what was the hardest part about all this? So, um, I mean, again, I think the fact that we had to make a decision on a promise rather than a real business opportunity that we could point and commit to, we will deliver this much next quarter, you know, six quarter from now, et cetera. We just, the numbers just weren't there. And so you kind of had to make a decision based on a long-term commitment uh, to, to a, a business opportunity, not a P&L impact. And... How were the different stakeholders looking at that decision at the time? 
Yeah, again, if you think about the few, the few people who would have been, would have, would have been involved, finance was, as always, and that's the role they play, quite skeptical of anything that doesn't have immediate return. Um, I'd say the marketing teams are really excited about the opportunity to try something new and different and a different audience than what we typically target. Uh, and then lastly, and you know, credit to my boss, I had his full support because you know he, like me, believed that sometimes you do have to take a bit of a leap of faith and say, we're going to invest this in the future and knowing, knowing it's not going to have immediate impact. So it, you know, it wasn't obvious, but we, we got there. Like, it wasn't difficult. So if you put yourself in the shoes of the Eric Montero, of one of your competitors, um, what is the hard time that this other Eric is having today? Uh, what is hard? What is the hard thing about the decision and the strategy? Well, I'd say they're probably going through a very similar thought process, right? Um, the situation I described is exactly the same for everybody else. They also see all the insure techs making lots of waves and raising lots of cash. By the way, the one of the interesting twists of this whole thing is, you know, we and we met with all the insure techs, and you would sit down with some of them, and they're raising hundreds of millions of dollars, and then you talk through their numbers and what they've actually delivered, and it's nothing, right? It's much smaller than our own business. Uh, now, for obvious reasons, we have a big, you know, brand. We have lots of, you know, traffic, organic traffic in our own websites. Uh, so it really, there's a lot of wave, but not real output. And so, again, my my sense is our competitors are facing kind of the same question as well. But you made a decision ahead of the curve. Um, you made it before your competitors did. So, what do you think that you guys understood right, and that they didn't. I, I don't know if we had better insight than anybody else, um, but we had an, an inf enough insight to make a decision, and I think had the confidence to make the decision, which maybe not everybody did. Um, now you got to remember, we did have an existing business, and so that actually gave us quite a bit of insight on who the people are, what's the traffic, what do they do, where do they go, why do they buy, and we actually did some research. Um, in fact, helped by this company that by a guy named Luis Zorzella. I don't know if you know him, maybe. And, uh, you know, it was very insightful because it helps us, helped us understand what's getting in the way. And to your point earlier, first of all, a lot of people think they bought digital, even though they didn't. Secondly, you know, it became very clear that we weren't preparing them with the confidence and, and the certainty that they are making the right decision. And then the third thing that was very striking from the research is people felt like this was a huge commitment they're making. Because, you know, it, you, and we don't help because we call it a term 10 product. So immediately you think you're making a 10-year decision. Well, actually, you, you would be hard-pressed to find a product that requires less commitment from you as a consumer than insurance. You can walk away anytime. In fact, the truth is, even if you don't pay for a couple of months, we won't cancel your policy. Right? We're going we're gonna to keep going because there's, a, there's a, a bit of a holiday period. And so you know, this, dispelling some of these myths became very clear to us once we saw the research. And so we had lots of insight from, again, both the existing client base, but also some of the research we did. Yeah, so Eric is referring to a project that uh, we did for Sun Life uh, to help them with this process of defining what to do with Sun Life Go. Um, it was very interesting, and we got some really interesting and counterintuitive uh, insights from uh, our research and our um, analysis there. Um, Eric, what was the biggest surprise in this whole process for you? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a few things. Actually, first, first of all, let me take a bit of time to describe exactly what we did because we didn't just decide to relaunch. We, we, um, we did a couple of things in addition to that. We created this agile team that is basically ongoing on, because the product, it used to be managed like any other platform. Right? You create a project, you build a platform, then you know, the team goes away and goes do something else. We now created an agile team that's fully dedicated to maintaining and improving that platform and the experience all the time. And it doesn't only include the technology folks who design the experience, it includes you know, an analytics team that's actually looking at the data all the time. It includes a marketing team, which I'm gonna talk a little bit more about. It includes you know, uh, um, uh, a business team that's actually trying to figure out the product and does need to change, et cetera. So that agile team is now really accountable, much like if they were a startup, right? and that's how we set it up. Specifically on the marketing side, what became clear to us is the traditional marketing approach just doesn't work for, for the audience, first of all, and for the product you know, and the experience. And so it's now a very different model where it's more like a startup, really. Again, I call it growth hacking, as do many other people in startups. And in fact, if these people are doing it, you know, they're, every day they wake up and they say, how are we going to get leads up? How are we going to get conversion up? How, and they try everything from social media to partnerships to you know, uh, use of general media to creating buzz in the market, whatever it is that's required. And it's a completely different approach and a different model than what we used to do. Setting up a team like that sounds very, very difficult. Um, it's not only the decision of betting on this vision for the future, for Sun Life Go, but also setting up a team with a different structure, with a different culture, in a different way of working, with different ways of doing things within a company. Sounds very challenging too. Well, yes, but we had the benefit of actually, it's a journey we were already on. We've been pivoting to a more agile-based journey, and this is a great opportunity. It was, in fact, in, fact, in some ways, the obvious place to deploy this because we're, we're doing this in many other areas of the business, and we're actually seeing lots of benefit from it. It's a very different way of, of operating. You really can only do it on parts of the business that are sort of standalone, quote-unquote, uh, but on the ones that are, you can really do that. To answer your first question, which is, what, what did we learn and what's, what's, um, what surprises did we find? I mean, I can't remember who said it, but it's a great quote, which is that no, no battle plan survives the first field encounter, right? I, I think it's a great, and that's definitely true. I, I like the Mike Tyson version that everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah, that's even more real, right? More, more uh, visceral. And uh, that's certainly true, and it was certainly true for us. Um, and, you know, for us, the big surprise, of course, was the pandemic. And that had a, you know, good and bad implications. On, on the good side, as I mentioned, demand and interest for the product shot up quite dramatically, particularly from younger, younger generations. Normally, we would normally see people when you know, they're in kind of late 30s, early 40s, and, and or they have a family, they have a kid, they have the second kid. You know, whatever, whatever the situation is, there'll be a life event that triggers them to think about financial security and therefore insurance. In this case, you know, we're seeing people start much sooner because of the pandemic, I think. Um, that's a hypothesis anyway. And so that interest sh shot up. And again, that was great because we saw that you know, all of a sudden that we were ready for it and you know, we're seeing demand go up and sales go up and everything else. And also the other benefit of that is the increased uh, demand also gives us a lot more data to really understand and, and a lot more customer flow to just understand what are people going through? What are they like? What are they not like? Um, so I'll give you an example of one of the things we learned is uh, we, we had this, we created this very articulate uh, experience where we actually ask lots of questions and help you, help guide you through, you know, the, the, the solution that's best for you, which makes a lot of sense logically. But the reality is many 
customers, they come in with a decision. They've already made a decision. They, they've decided they want a term 10 and they need $200,000 of insurance. And they don't want, they actually don't want the conversation. They don't want any of those questions. And we actually saw people dropping off. And, and therefore we had to adjust and pivot quickly. This is where having the agile team is critical to say, well, we need to offer both experiences and be very clear. Are you going to take journey A or journey B? Journey A is going to guide you through this. Journey B is, you know, you just want to click buy and go. And now we allow people to do that too. So that was, that was a big learning. Um, the other, the other takeaway, which is not so positive from COVID is the fact that, you know, we, because we're seeing a lot younger folks join and, and frankly, earlier in life, the premium is down substantially. So what was already not a particularly profitable set of products has become even less profitable. And that's okay. Cause again, the purpose of the platform is to acquire these relationships early on. So we can then pivot them to a fuller relationship when they're ready. But it does put a challenge on the on the business case for the whole thing because again, in, on a per product basis, they're not nearly as profitable with the smaller premiums. Not as profitable is an understatement, eh? No, thank you, yeah, that's uh, right. Eric. That's um, right. I, um, that was very insightful, very instructive. Thank you for being here with us and telling your story. Um, thank you. Thank you for having me. It was great being here. Thank you for listening. If you are open to knowing more, you can subscribe to our podcast and find us on www.thestrategytaken.com.